Welcome everybody to Modern Day Debate. I'm your moderator tonight, Justin. Tonight's topic, abiogenesis on trial. Going first with their opening statement will be the team of Grayson and Amy. Grayson, you've chosen to uh, start off, so the floor is all yours. Hey everyone, Merry Christmas Eve Eve. My name is Grayson. My YouTube channel is called Based Theory, and I have a degree in biochemistry, and I've worked in a structural biology lab. So while I'm not an expert on this subject, I am not a lay person either. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to share my screen. I have a presentation prepared. And you got it? Yeah, Just... you're all good. Okay, cool. I'll start my time. So Tonight, we're going to be talking about abiogenesis, which attempts to answer the question of how did life begin? So to give a very short answer to that, the answer is we don't know yet. There is no current consensus working theory of abiogenesis, but we do have several naturalistic hypotheses, which I will be arguing tonight that this is the best possible answer given the current data. So let's look at an example to see what I'm talking about in my reasoning. Say you have two people that come across a volcanic eruption and they don't know what is causing this. One person says it must be a supernatural miracle caused by the goddess Pele. And the other person says, I don't know the cause. Let's develop and test naturalistic hypotheses about it. Which person gave the better answer? Our opponents tonight will be arguing that the first person gave the better answer because between the two of them, that was the only person that provided an answer to it. They said definitively, this is a supernatural miracle caused by the goddess Pele. They gave an answer and they will say that that is far superior than I don't know yet. But obviously, that is not the case. The second person gave the superior answer because they had the more scientific answer. Their answer followed just like science follows methodological naturalism, where they have come up, they've created naturalistic hypotheses that are falsifiable and testable. And in reality, this is the method that we use to actually discover what causes volcanic eruptions. And I will argue that we can rely on methodological naturalism because of its superior track record as coming up with the greatest, most reliable method of generating knowledge about our natural world throughout all of human history. So just to get our bearings about what are some current open questions in science similar to abiogenesis, I'm gonna list two examples here, the Mpemba effect and quantum gravity. Both of these are similar to abiogenesis in that there is no consensus working theory to explain them. The Mpemba effect is talking about why hot water freezes faster than cold water, and quantum gravity is just gravity on a small scale. Would it be logical to conclude that because there's no working theory and there's only hypotheses for these two phenomenon, that it must be that there's a supernatural miracle that occurs in the freezing of water or in quantum gravity? No, of course not. We just have competing hypotheses that we must empirically test. So what are those hypotheses for abiogenesis? Well, here's a brief overview. I don't have enough time to go in detail on these, but RNA world was the most popular hypothesis. RNA peptide world is gaining a lot of momentum currently. There's other, there's metabolism first, iron sulfur world, there's protein first models. 
of which a subsection is my own personal favorite hypothesis for abiogenesis called the amyloid world hypothesis. Uh, there's a video about that on my channel with more details, but I don't have enough time to go into details here. They All of these hypotheses follow this same general schema, however, going from messy chemistry to systems of autocatalytic chemical reactions. These are self-replicating chemical systems. And when you have a self-replicating chemical system that has heredity, variation, and differential fitness, you have all the ingredients for Darwinian evolution to take place, which complexity and life naturally arises from. So tonight, our opponents will be trying to make the case that abiogenesis is impossible. They will say that it's that because of probability or complexity or homochirality. They'll have all these reasons. So let's go one by one and debunk these. For probability, probability is a mechanism-dependent uh, branch of math. So all probability calculations necessarily must assume a mechanism. So this is why you can't just look at an end product and say, what's the, the probability that we get this product? Because you don't know the mechanism. There could be catalysts that you are not accounting for. So if you don't have a mechanism, like we do not have a mechanism for abiogenesis, then you actually cannot calculate the probability. It's nonsensical to do so because you can't account for things like catalysts that change the probability dependent on the mechanism. Look at complexity. So we have known since the 60s and 70s that complexity can arise from noise. We have understood self-organization in various fields from physics to chemistry, biology, cybernetics, computer science, thermodynamics, economics, linguistics, etc. We understand how self-organization works. We also have complexity theory that explains how complexity arises naturally from edge of chaos systems, non-equilibrium thermodynamics, and feedback loops. There's even groundbreaking work happening on complexity, like this paper I have here on screen from physicist Leonard Susskind at Stanford, showing that as a natural consequence of the second law of thermodynamics, computational complexity must necessarily always increase in the universe. If we talk about irreducible complexity, we have empirically verified that irreducibly complex systems can arise from evolution. This here is my favorite example, just because it's relevant to this topic. This study took one self-replicating RNA and watched it evolve into an irreducibly complex network of five new lineages. And these five were codependent. If you remove one of the five, the system no longer is able to replicate. So it's we watched irreducible complexity evolve naturally. So we know that complexity, irreducible complexity is not a criteria of design and can arise naturally. I also have all these about homochirality. We don't really have time to get to them, but here are the citations showing that there are enantioselective mechanisms that are natural that can explain how homochirality happens from amyloid formation to chiral-induced spin selectivity and beyond. Here are my citations. Here are several citations for how the building blocks of life appear. I don't have time to cover all of them, but I want them on screen just so people can pause and look at the citations themselves for how things like RNA and polypeptides can arise. And then here's just summarizing empirical evidence for autocatalytic chemistry that has evolutionary properties from everything from lipids to sugars to peptides, et cetera. I don't have enough time to get into any of the details. I'll pass on the rest of the time to Amy. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Grayson. Uh, Amy, if you're ready, uh, you may go ahead.
Hello, everyone. My name is Amy Newman. I'm a professor of information systems, a teacher, a counter-apologist, and comedian. I also do skeptic comedy, where we hope to have fun with my co-host, James W. at youtube.com slash Amy Newman. I want to thank Justin for modding, Grayson for being my partner, and Sal and Taylor for coming to talk. So, abiogenesis on trial, or rather, the origin of life. But it could be abiogenesis on trial runs, because currently abiogenesis is a hypothesis, or an educated guess, with multiple hypotheses right now trying to explain the full picture, which may have been an event, or many events, over four billion years ago, scientists know that life first rose fast. Soon after the planet came into formation, we have an extensive fossil record showing a gradual evolution of organisms with more complex organisms on top and a slow, gradual descent towards simplicity. We see this the further we go back in time and the further we go in the geological column that makes up the Earth. However, at a certain point, the process to fossilize becomes harder and harder. Without hard bodies, the earliest life surviving is few and far between. Thus, we have to do what science does best, experimentation. In the early 1950s, Miller and Urey did such an experiment where they simulated conditions of the early Earth. They filled a glass bubble with water, methane, ammonia, and hydrogen, or chemicals found on the surface of our planet. Then they used an electric current to simulate lightning as a source of energy. It wasn't long before they found developing amino acids or the basic building blocks of life. Like Darwin with evolution, Miller and Yuri began a field of exploration into how life began, which is now the hot place of study for many biologists. Since then, we have also found some amino acids and other organic compounds inside meteorites. Life, or the process by which it come about, is more resilient than we first thought. Could life have come here adrift in outer space? Something scientists call panspermia? Maybe. It's not impossible. And at least the ingredients for life we know have fallen onto our surface. Finally, we often hear from detractors of evolution, and especially abiogenesis, that life could not have simply arise, arisen <laughs> from chance. But the environment for life to arise on Earth makes sense. We are in the circumstellar habitable zone, along with Venus and Mars, a fancy term for the band around a sun in which things aren't on fire or freezing, these Goldilocks zones allow for things like liquid water, 
water is in itself a little weird, freezing from top to bottom, and works as a great solvent, allowing chemicals to mix. Speaking of which, carbon, as John Stewart would say, is the slut of the periodic table, able to make more combinations than all others combined. So it's no surprise that this is where life formed, a planet filled with carbon, water, and at a decent temperature range, not some frozen hoth planet or melting gas furnace. So abiogenesis on trial? Fine. Then help us get in the lab, especially if proving your way of life is what you're putting forward. There are currently many competing hypotheses. One could overtake the other, or even combine together to become a falsifiable theory or framework of facts. Instead of the two-strand double helix, maybe it was a one-strand RNA world, which came from an environment ripe with organic materials. Maybe it was something else. The data is being collected, and so far all the answers point to naturalistic causes on our Earth over four billion years ago. Thank you. All right, thank you, Amy. Um, with that, we're going to pass the things over to uh, Sal and Taylor. Uh, forgive me, I don't remember which one of you two would like to go first. I can go first. Okay. Um, the, your opponents went over by about 60 seconds. So okay. uh, you have an additional 60 seconds. You may go when you're ready. All right, I'll start now. Um, I'm Salvador Cordova. I'm a molecular biophysics researcher. I've recently been accepted into a doctoral program in biomolecular engineering. I have five degrees, biology, physics from Johns Hopkins University, and uh, three engineering-related degrees. Um, if I could share my screen. And for seven years, I worked with famous geneticist, Cornell researcher John C. Sanford, who has his invention in the Sasonian Museum of Natural uh, American History. And Dr. Sanford used to be an atheist. He is now a Christian and a creationist. Those are some of his publications. He and I published recently in Springer Nature. It, this is in university library shelves now. And recently I was pu published in Oxford University Press. The uh, issue is we're having all these experiments, and this is a nice cartoon. Uh, the, this scientist says, just think, as soon as I produce life in the test tube, I will disprove that absurd idea that intelligent that an intelligent being was needed to do it in the beginning. And I'll repeat that theme over and over. So uh, this is from a, a Origin of Life Research Journal by Steve Benner. Steve Benner is an advocate of origin of life. He's not a creationist, but listen to what he says. And uh, the picture from Raiders of the Lost Ark there kind of illustrates his point so beautifully, the asphalt paradox. An enormous amount of empirical data have established as a rule 
that organic systems given energy and left to themselves devolve, devolve to uselessly complex mixtures, asphalts. This is experiment, by the way. Theory that enumerates, and then theory, theory that enumerates small molecule space, as well as structure theory in chemistry can be construed to regard this devolution, this de-evolution a necessary consequence of theory. Thus, even if we solve the asphalt paradox, the water paradox, the information need paradox, and the single biopolymer paradox, we still must mitigate or set aside chemical theory that makes destruction, that makes destruction, not biology, the natural outcome of our already magical chemical system. And when I was going through school, uh, they were advertising the Uri Miller experiment of 1952 and showing, claiming this solved the origin of life. That was kind of the consensus even in the 1960s. They were optimistic. They were going to explain this without appeal to special creation. But then Francis Crick in the 70s. So he says, an honest man armed with all the knowledge available to us now could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to almost be a miracle. So many are con the conditions which would have to be satisfied to get it going. Now, he didn't say it's a miracle. He thought, he said, look, it does, it does look kind of complicated. But it got so bad that he suggested the solution would be space aliens. And here it is from Scientific American. Francis Crick, Leslie Orgeral, proposed that life on Earth was the result of a deliberate infection designed, like intelligently designed by aliens who had purposely fled Mother Nature's seed to create a new home in the sun. Crick repeatedly addressed the question of the origin of life between 1971 and 1988. Come now to the National Institutes of Health. Uh, pictured here is Eugene Koonin, one of the top evolutionary biologists on the planet. In my opinion, he's the top. One of the people there pictured was also my professor at the NIH. And Koonin had this to say, he dabbled into the origin of life. He suggests the answer is multiverse. So we go from nearly solving it, almost solved, then to space aliens, now to multiverses. The only thing we don't have is multiverses with space aliens. Now, with all these experiments that Grayson is expected to cite, by the way, he totally mischaracterized. He strawmanned my position before even knowing what it was. He said, these are all the arguments I'm going to make. That's not exactly true. I just need to call him out on that. But uh, Simon Common Morris said, many of the experiments designed to explain one or other step in the origin of life are either of tenuous relevance to any believable prebiotic setting or involve an experimental rig in which the hand of the researcher, for all intents and purposes, becomes the hand of God. And in fact, in the prestigious Nature Communications, famous chemist Clemens Reichert actually talks about the hand of God dilemma. He says, look at all this investigator interference that is generating all these supposed results and advancement. He's saying that's totally illegitimate. That's totally illegitimate. This is like looking, I mean, this is me saying here, looking at a 747 and say, hey, look, we had all these machines, build it, and then we'll say this proves that it happened by all by itself. That is so illegitimate. And he's calling them out on it. He's calling them out on it. Um, now, talking about God, here are the laws of nature, a good representation of this. And Professor Johns Hopkins at my university said, the mental universe, you could look this up. He suggests that the, the laws of quantum mechanics uh, imply there's God. And so um, 
this is from quantum mechanics. Uh, F.J. Belenfante. We thus see how quantum theory requires the existence of God. Of course, it does not ascribe to God, defined in this way, uh, any of the specific additional qualities that various existing re religious doctrines ascribe to God. Acceptance of such doctrines is a matter of faith and belief. And we can go into that more. So the rhetorical question is, you know, how impossible, how improbable does something have to be before you accept that it's a miracle? If you say no, that's fine. But let's not pretend that abiogenesis is moving forward. It's moving backward and the goalposts are moving. And I'd like to yield my time to Taylor. Thank you. All right, Taylor, whenever you're ready, don't forget to unmute and the floor is all yours. Okay, yeah, um, I, I'll be much shorter, but uh, yeah, whenever there's no working theory to a theory, it could be time to reconsider it. And with abiogenesis, all the different hypotheses and, and theories of how it could work have been debunked and disproven. So I believe that it is definitely time to reconsider it as normally theory should be testable, especially, especially if you're giving a naturalistic explanation to something because it's observable, then you need to be able to give a, an actual working naturalistic explanation and theory to it. You can't just propose a theory that's not observable or workable and that there is detrimental downfalls in each aspect of it. So normally, whenever we have theories, we test them. And whenever we find out that they aren't working, we reconsider them, but not with abiogenesis, because time and time again, we have tested these theories and found detrimental problems to them, and we still continue to teach it. Um, so I just believe that it is time to reconsider. Uh, back in the 1920s was when Alexander Oprin and JBS Halide were proposing that chemicals could be responsible for the origin of life. And this is the 1920s. So out of all of these decades of research, we have actually went back backwards in progress to what now where we have no theory and we have more detrimental problems than we could even imagine. Um, everywhere you turn in the theory of abiogenesis, there's a detrimental problem. There's actually no component of it that is working. So I believe that it is time to um, move forward and reconsider other possible explanations. But yeah, thank you. And with that, that's the opening statements for both sides. Um, so once again, let me tell you guys, my name is Justin. I'm your moderator tonight. Uh, James, as usual, he's out there in the world. He's watching. He's supporting everyone here right now. Uh, but we're going to show our support right back to him by hitting that like and subscribe button on the channel. All right. Uh, this debate is a biogenesis on trial. And here's what we're going to do. So... Um, our debaters would like to have two-minute intervals, uh, opportunity uh, having an open floor for them to speak without interruption. And uh, unless someone disagrees with me, I believe uh, if abiogenesis is on trial, and if that's Grayson and Amy defending that position, um, that Sal and Taylor should probably have the first two minutes. Would I be wrong in thinking that's a great way to engage that? They can go if they would like, just to respond to our opening statements. Yeah, because they they just went. Um, yeah, I don't I don't I don't disagree with that either. I just felt like maybe they would have the questions first. But uh, yeah, if you guys and want much to, much like anything in my life, I'm good with either way. All right, then uh, 
go ahead, Grayson sure. or Amy. The first um, two minutes is yours. If I may respond to some of those openings, um, I didn't actually hear many reasons for us to think that abiogenesis is impossible. I heard that even if we do abiogenesis in a lab, that only proves that intelligent humans are necessary for it. But I find that to be fallacious reasoning. For example, if you were to create snowflakes in a lab, have you proved that a human designer is necessary to create snowflakes and they can't form naturally? No, of course not. The reasoning doesn't hold up at all. Um, I heard abiogenesis was not moving forward. I don't know how anyone can claim that's the case because like RNA world predicted ribozymes then we found ribozymes. We've found catalysts for polypeptide bond formation. That was in 2004 with carbonyl sulfide. We've found just like literally amyloid world hypothesis that I brought up just became a hypothesis in the mid 2010s, like in 2018 was the paper. So all of this stuff is very new. I don't know how anybody in their right mind can even say that we haven't made progress since Miller-Urey. And finally, um, saying that it's not falsifiable is crazy when you're saying that these hypotheses have been tested and falsified. So none of none. I didn't hear anything coherent. That's all. Amy. And just to add on Green with Grayson, but also just my opening pot shot at John C. Sanford. He is well known for his gene gun, which is highly respected and usable. However, our genes de-evolving is not accepted in the scientific community, at least not yet. Um, I, I don't think anyone is against special creation. I also, I, I took it out of my opening because I thought it was snarky, but I would say we're the ones that are saying miracles don't happen. We believe in rare events. And when we start to under understand that rare events happen, that's two and, minutes, Amy. All right, there we and to be continued. Okay, uh, Saller Taylor, your response. Okay, I'll respond. I I listed all these references from a respected origin of life researcher. So if you missed it, it was there for the viewers. Um, so I, I I brought the issues there. I also brought the fact that all these supposed advances in origin of life, Clemens Reichert, who is not a creationist, is calling out his fellow researchers and saying, all that stuff is illegitimate. There's too much investor in, investigator interference. You're totally designing these experiments and you're not accounting for how probable those conditions are gonna be in the origin of life. So yeah, you can make, you can make DNA in the lab. It doesn't mean that it's gonna happen, you know, kind of out in the wild. And, and he's totally calling out the other ones. So all of this supposed advancement, and this is a big argument right now, is that these papers are, you know, are, are basically a farce because they don't represent prebiotic chemistry. There's no assigning of how probable these conditions are going to be or anything like it. Something as simple as purification. Taylor? Yes, exactly. And whenever we're doing things like creating DNA in the lab, we're using already working um, enzymes. Okay, so those are already functioning. And um, that's what a lot of the original life researchers have done that tried to claim that these things can happen is they put already working enzymes into the into the picture. And, uh, you know, that's just not that's just not the case in reality, like in, in a world that had absolutely no life. Um, that's just not going to be there. So they 
they continue to be biased in in their in their results and try to show that you know these things could happen in in nature whenever they're already using like working enzymes which is not um that's just not the case so i would like for let's see i would like for grayson to um explain what theory that he believes is the working one at this point you mentioned amyloid but can you just explain to the viewers what that consists of and what evidence there is of it okay so again there is no working consensus theory there are only hypotheses there's obviously a difference between theory and hypotheses i know that sal listed a lot of citations it's just that all those people disagree with him and all of them think that there's a naturalistic explanation for abiogenesis so i don't understand why he thinks that citing them is showing that it's impossible when all the people he's citing don't agree that it's impossible um in terms of explaining amyloid world it's literally like a 20 minute video on my channel i don't know how to condense it into like less than two minutes and still allow amy to talk but it's basically like amyloids first which you don't require any enzymes. I could list a lot of the citations, Greenwald et al., uh, CPJ, Mori have published on this, but you don't need any starting enzymes. You just need a volcanic gas to catalyze the prebiotic reactions, which occurs at hydrothermal vents. And they naturally form amyloids that are capable of storing information, having heredity, self-replication, catalyzing reactions, uh, select enantioselectivity for homochirality, like all of these things that you guys say are problems are ticked off and shown empirically in amyloid research. So, so you said that we don't need an enzyme, but isn't that what you're saying was first? Aren't you saying that this enzyme was first and, but you're saying we don't need an enzyme. I don't understand how that works. Amyloids do have enzymatic activity, but they are not dependent on a specific sequence. Okay, so that, that you're saying that there's no information into that sequence, right? Um, there is information. It's information from the environment that is then selected upon by amyloid self-replication. Okay, so an amyloid would have information stored in it in order to have the abilities that it has and the, and the functions and the reproductive functions and every other function that it does. It would need to be self-replicating that is continuing that information on. So it does have information. Okay, so... One one real question would be, um, like, where did this information come from? Like, this is a really big question for this um, topic. Like, like we have never seen information in this manner come about by natural causes. I would completely disagree with that. And as I already explained, the information is sourced from the environment. Originally, the amyloid sequence is essentially randomized based on its environment and what is available to it. And that information is then selected upon in frequent in, in subsequent generations for things like fitness effects, like stability, efficacy of self-replication. All of these things are going to hone that information content from randomized sequences to more efficacious sequences over time as a result of the like the evolutionary process on these molecular replicators. Yeah, um, well, I just wanna make a comment. Um, we have never seen information like that contains um, layered informational hierarchy and integrated circuits in, and large amounts of new inputted information observed in nature. Okay, without an intelligent designer. But the fact that we see these things present in our, for example, DNA code, would show the a positive case for intelligent design, because we have only see, seen these things come about with an intelligent designer. Now, if you have an example of 
of, for example, integrated circuits being coded into nature mm-hmm. without yeah. any intelligent designer yes. input. Yes. Um, I would like to hear those examples. Thank you. Sure. I don't, okay. I want to let Sal and Amy in on this, but I just want to give you a brief example of exactly what you were looking for in SIV with their tethering binding system. That is a four component codependent, irreducibly complex system that was observed to evolve. So exactly what you were just looking for. It's four components necessary for its function. You need each one of them or else it doesn't work. And it was observed to evolve in SIV. So there you go. You said SIV. Can you yeah. can you just explain what that is so viewers can look it up? It's an immunovirus. It's for binding right. with human tethering. So have we seen this immunovirus come about just by an input of raw nucleotides? That is not the point that I was trying to illustrate. You asked how no, a, the integrated circuit can come about. I explained that. Now you're moving the goalposts for something else that was not the point of the example. No, I mean, with absolutely no, no intelligent designer. So a virus already contains genetic information. Okay. So I'm talking about information from raw, you know, with no, from no information. Okay. This, this was I'm new information. Not just new information. Information. I'm talking about from an unintelligent, you know, an unintelligent source, basically, just like these um, informational hierarchy and generated circuits being coded by nature, basically accidentally. Okay, so I, that's what I wanted an example of. But we can move on if if we have to or whatever. Um, Justin, can I get a minute? I'll give you two, bud. Go for it. I'll, I'll, okay. If I may share my screen, just so you could see this quote here. Uh, you see the quote says some future day, some future day. Okay. This is Robert Shapiro, a chemist. And, um, Grayson was saying, why am I citing all these people that don't, you know, that believe in origin of life as if that discredits, it strengthens my argument because I'm showing that these guys are not creationists, but they're admitting the problems. They're not, they're not at all biased. If anything, they're biased toward abiogenesis, but they're confessing the difficulties. That's why I cited them. I just wanted to clarify that. And I'm going to share this quote by an origin of life researcher who's actually said some nice things about the creationists. But he said, you know, some future day, this is Robert Shapiro, some future day may yet arrive when all reasonable chemical experiments run to discover a probable origin of life have failed unequivocally, unequivocally, Further new geological evidence may indicate a Southern appearance of life on earth. Finally, we may have explored the universe and found no trace of life or processes leading to life elsewhere. In such cases, some scientists might choose to turn to religion for an answer. Others, however, myself included, would attempt to sort out the surviving less probable scientific explanations in the hope of selecting one that was still more likely than the remainder. And that is just an attitude, that's fine. I mean, I'm a religious person. I'm a man of faith. That's the faith that I see in these origin of life researchers. But they've had honest enough moments to say there are problems that doesn't quite agree with our beliefs. That's why I cited it. You asked why I cited them. That's the reason. Thank you. Amy, do you want to weigh in on it or can I? If I just one second, I just want to add, I'm not sure all the way back going with the multiverse that really deals with like a pre big bang thing i don't know many hypotheses being put forward for the multiverse of life but maybe um 
we do sometimes talk about things like panspermia, but even then it would mean that there'd have to be some sort of formation that's kicking the can down. Um, I mean, we're open to creators. The problem is, is that that also would need to be falsifiable. And I don't see any offers or explanations from proponents of creationism. Also, and this will be maybe one, and then I'll move on to some of Taylor's claims. But Sal, you talked about things that were good theories, and some of them were, I agree. But I guess, do you have a formulation for the germ theory of disease? Do you believe that that is a good theory and would fit alongside those other theories like general relativity? I think the uh, germ theory of disease is a good theory. Um, and uh, I think the theory of relativity is a good theory and I've covered it on my channels. Um, I, I, I don't think, uh, First, I think evolutionary theory is probably the worst theory out there, right beside abiogenesis theory. Well, abiogenesis theory is not a theory. It's not a thing. So there's hypotheses of abiogenesis. There is no, no the abiogenesis theory of abiogenesis theory. is definitely a thing. Well, it's it's accepted in scientists that it's the theory of abiogenesis. Have you never heard that before? No, because it's not a theory. It's there's competing hypotheses. If for a theory, you need a mechanism. There is no mechanism or theory of abiogenesis. So no, it's not. There are just several competing hypotheses for it. Um, and if we're going to be quoting people about all these problems in abiogenesis, I think every single person agrees that there are unsolved problems within abiogenesis. But the point, Sal, is that your side needs to demonstrate that abiogenesis is impossible. And every single one of those sources would not say that abiogenesis is impossible. And they would not say that any of their arguments is demonstrating that abiogenesis is impossible. So I just don't think that citing them helps you because obviously no one's going to say that there's no problems in abiogenesis hypotheses. Because guess what? There is no consensus theory of it. And like really, respond? one more point. Sorry to take up a lot of time, but no, we were talking good. about like, Taylor made the point way earlier that if all these hypotheses and we don't have a consensus theory yet, then we might as well just throw it away and and say that you know it's a miracle or whatever. But again, I brought up the Impemba effect because that is has over two thousand years of being unsolved, and all it is is why hot water freezes faster than cold water, and nobody knows. There's no theory. There's no physics. All we have are hypotheses. It's in the same boat. And you could just say the same argument. Why don't we just throw away all our physics because they can't explain why hot water freezes quickly? Like, this is the kind of logic here. It, it's just... It, what You're saying that there's a hypothesis, but what is a hypothesis? There's actually no working one. There are hypotheses rna i went over them in my presentation rna world amyloid world these are all competing hypotheses and they make testable predictions that, that we can falsify with empirical tests would you so like go ahead to get and in demonstrate which empirical tests which empirical test actually uh demonstrated that that was um a working theory and did which they use already living enzymes for no if you're asking about amyloid world hypothesis, 
Greenwald at all 2016. They did not use any pre-existing enzymes. All they used was a bunch of amino acids and some volcanic gas. And they spontaneously- Didn't they, didn't they already have uh, uh, amino acid sequences in there as well, though? No. Okay, so you're you're positing that what happened from that um, experiment? You said that they put in what what did they insert into the experiment? Just amino nucleotides. And, okay, and then what? We got a working what? You're saying that a working amyloid came out of that? Amyloid formed, yes. That that were capable of self replication and catalyzing other reactions like ATP hydrolysis and, and their own uh, their own self replication, etc. Yeah, but they already had inserted the genetic material and information. I remember that experiment. No, they did not. There was no nucleotides at all in the experiment. There was no genetics. There was no DNA or, or, or RNA in this experiment. Yeah, can you can you tell yeah. us which, which non-existing experiment this is again? For the third time, Greenwald et al. from 2016 showed it. There's also Route 2018, which did it in a... Uh, like with using multiple different chiralities and of handedness. And they there's been lots of research into how amyloids can create homochiral products. Okay. Th this is a burgeoning field of amyloid research. Taylor, I would really like to hear from uh, Sal as well. So like the give and take you guys are having is fantastic. Um, but I'm trying to keep to a, a two minute. Uh, back and forth, but we've got Sal and Amy as well. Uh, let's see if Sal can back you up or add to what you're trying to say. Okay, can I have uh, at least a minute? You've got two, you. bud. I cited the asphalt paradox. The opening stuff I showed with the little Raiders of the Lost Ark and uh, Grayson's totally ignoring it. I'll just read it again. Organic systems given energy and left to themselves devolve to uselessly complex mixtures. Theory enumerates small molecule space as well as structure theory and chemistry can be construed to regard this devolution as a necessary consequence of theory. So all these exceptional experiments are not representative. You're having to then, when you have to have to struggle so hard to get one experiment to get just a little result that's probably not gonna go anywhere in the real world, um, you know, that I consider that pretty much illegitimate because then you're gonna need so many other conditions to make this work. And one thing about, uh, especially like polymers, polypeptides, especially there's a paper that says, live long, don't prosper, live long, don't prosper. Uh, th these things will degrade naturally very quickly over geological time. Um, and then also the other thing is if you don't have a recipe for sequencing it, if you don't have something like DNA to be able to copy, read, and duplicate, you know, you may get these one poly, these sets of polypeptides, but that's it. You're not going to reconstruct it uh, in any way that resembles the life that we have today. So you might as well just have all these little replicators that just go nowhere. And we uh, saw Spiegelman showed where this goes. It goes to simplification, just like Benner said. Thank you. If I can, really quickly, and then Amy, I'd like you to go after. Um... The uh, okay, so Benner in his own conclusions shows we expect most of these paradoxes to be resolved, and that because the theories that generate them are incorrect, incomplete, or inapplicable to molecular systems. So, again, he doesn't have your conclusion that abiogenesis is impossible because of them. He's just saying whatever mechanism of abiogenesis must account for these things. 
And amyloid world does account for several of those paradoxes that you brought up. Uh, like the things that you've listed are literally accounted for in the amyloid world hypothesis. Like you don't need genetic sequence because amyloids can store information in their sequences that then can be inherited by the daughter amyloids. So like, yeah, a lot of what you brought up is already addressed in the more recent theories. Um, if, if you read about them, you'll you'll see exactly why. I mean, these amyloids are not just going all into complex chaos and everything. So, uh, Amy, you I got sixty seconds. Ask. Oh, Amy, Amy, I'm Amy sorry. Has I sixty seconds if she would like to respond. I just want to also point out that there doesn't seem to be a lot of ID literature putting out at least hypotheses or even theories, testable theories that we can go out. I don't see a lot of detrimental problems other than we have to find a few different mechanisms and it may it may be that there isn't just one solution but that there are multiple hypotheses that will end up combining or one taking over the other as we get um, better information but oh I, and I'll just finish by saying so far religion has never been the answer a god so far has never been the every time that we have used god as an answer we've always found out there was a naturalistic explanation all right south taylor a response yeah i was just i was just going to ask a question about the amyloid world hypothesis oh go um, ahead uh, taylor. Oh, assuming, oh i'm sorry i he said okay you you go right ahead no, I'd like Sorry. Taylor to, to go ahead and ask. I yield my time. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was just going to ask a question about the amyloid world hypothesis. Um, so if there was an amyloid to to have an arisen, um, we know that it would need to be replicated. But in order to get that information, it would have to be in an unfolded form to be able to give out its information. Okay. So it would basically have to defold itself and replicate itself. So can you please explain how that possibility or sure. how that would have been? Yeah, because that's not how amyloid replication works empirically. Um, you don't need to unfold the amyloid. One, the amyloid acts as a template by which the other amyloids are added in a way that replicates the sequence of the original template without the other amyloids. We're talking about the first one. Yeah, I'm, so am I here. So I'm how would it? The first one acts as a template. The so first now you're one... saying there would have had to been two amyloids. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. I'm trying to be clear here, Taylor. The first amyloid has an essentially randomized sequence determined by the environment. You do not need any specific sequence to form an, an amyloid. Almost all sequences of amino acids will naturally form amyloids. And again, with what Sal was saying about stability, amyloids are the most stable form of, of these protein structures. They're incredibly long lasting and they have differential fitness effects of their stability based on their composition. So you already have fitness effects going on. And again, the way that these amyloids replicate is that more amino acids are continuously being added onto the ever elongating amyloid fibril in a way that is copying the, the parent sequence. So that first amyloid sequence is gonna be replicated to the daughter amyloids, which again, this is a self-replicating molecular system, so. So as I mentioned, are you saying that there had to be two um, no. different proteins there? So you're no. saying that the the one amyloid that came about, however that happened, 
um, in the correct chirality, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and uh, supposing all the nucleotides are present and it's in a stable environment to be able to sustain itself. Um, this one, no, no, no it's I'm not. not I believe you. It probably was not in a stable environment to sustain itself. But no, literally but none of that sustain. is what I'm saying. Not, okay. Not no, no, no. Listen, listen. Okay. So you're saying that the amyloid had to uh, basically replicate itself to begin with. Is that what you're saying? With just infinite free nucleotides there to use, just all happy and stable like that doesn't exist, but it's okay. We'll give you the benefit of the doubt. No, actually, you don't need all of all of that. Okay. So amyloids well, form naturally, spontaneously. We've seen this in a lab. That's what Greenwald et al. showed in 2016. Yeah, but, but yeah, don't act no like they didn't give it just a, a point of full amino acids. In and I'm about to address that, Taylor. I was about to address that. The okay. concentrations that they used were were similar to the concentrations of amino acids found naturally occurring on meteorites. So we have natural an analogs of similar concentrations, okay? And then amyloids can also form with racemic mixtures of both handedness. However, they do not form as well. And the stability is then like, you basically have an evolutionary pressure towards more homochiral compounds. And we've also seen homochiral uh, amyloid beta sheet moieties form from racemic mixtures. So we have all that information empirically demonstrated. So you're saying that the the information for these amyloids were just there and 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 how how did that get inserted? Because have we seen at all um this insert insertion of new information without any intelligent designer? So this is the fourth time I have answered this. I'm trying to be very clear here. That yes, first can, amyloid. Can, that yeah. first amyloid had an essentially randomized sequence dependent on the environment and what was surrounding it, okay? So that's where the first information comes from. The information then is refined through selection because the amyloid is self-replicating, has her heritability and differential fitness effects and variation in the population. So that creates selection that then creates that more specified information that we see happen all the time in evolutionary systems. Uh, Taylor, may I, may I weigh in? And I'd like to defer to Amy because um, I, I don't want to hog someone else's time here. So I just, like your, I like your style, Sal, go ahead, take two minutes and then we'll let Amy chime in. This is incredible. You're talking about amyloids. There are way more proteins in a cellular system just to say you can get some replication and then somehow this is going to extrapolate to building uh, like say helicases and polymerases, topoisomerases, translocation processes, all these things that are necessary for cellular life. We're talking about cellular life, not just this glob of amyloids. That's, you know, that's just absurd. And to talk about selection, a lot of people are realizing that fails. This whole Darwinian selection thing is all backward. It's dumb. It's, I'll try not to use offensive words here, forgive me, but for example, Lenski's experiment, fitness gains, this, you know, uh, genomes decay despite sustained fitness gains. All experiments, most of them, the majority is when there's competitive uh, competition for uh, reproductive efficiency, it's loss of genes, loss of genes. And even as early as Saul Spiegelman's monster experiment, there was loss of DNA, there's loss of information. So when you're trying to have uh, competitive 
environments where you make a reproductive success, what ends up happening is you lose, you try to go for metabolic efficiency. That means simplicity. There's a tendency towards simplicity, not, not building it. So trying to invoke selection is not going to help. It's actually going to make the argument worse. That's proven in numerous experiments, observations, and theories. You could shake your head all you want, but I'll show you all these references because it's coming out in the last 10 years. It's just a delusion. Thank you. Amy, do you want to reply to that? I just want to throw some more things on the, the table. It is true that the lab is not nature, but when we are in the lab, we are trying to oftentimes replicate nature. When we are building our experiments, we are trying to build what we think is the proto or early earth. Um, we were talking about uh, homo... I can't even say uh, chiral. homo chiral and that it's true when we make things in a lab, you know, when we make sugar in a lab, it is both right and left and it's 50 50. And then when you look in nature, it is not like that. And we have to find ways around that. However, I would say that is what the scientists right now are doing. And I want to then just put it back reverse because it, to me it sounds like abiogenesis versus genesis and so is there any sort of new experimentation that would show us that the origin of life actually leads to a designer uh, i could and respond I my, the rest of my time yep. Go ahead, Sal. I'll try to be brief. Uh, Amy brings up good points. Um, you know, I totally get it that as scientists, uh, we all tend to believe things we can understand. And even as a Christian and as a creationist, it's, it's kind of hard to say, okay, I'm going to have to accept maybe a mechanism I'll never comprehend, test or verify. But how different is this from where abiogenesis is now and where it's been going. I mean, when we start when Eugene Koonin starts invoking multiple universes that are not testable, verifiable, or observable, you know, where, where, where are we? And so uh, what I hear here is all these appeals to hypothetical entities that we, we can't ultimately prove. So I think both sides have a matter of faith here. And, and, and it could be that the answers may be well out of science. I'll get some flack from my colleagues because I actually say ID is not science. I say it may be true in the ultimate sense, but I'm not going to argue with science. I don't. I, I think that's hard to defend. But I will argue that I think it's true and the evidence argues for it, but I'm not going to frame it in something that's experimentally verifiable. So, I mean, I think Amy has a, you know, I think it has a very legitimate concern, uh, but I'm not, that's why I don't frame it in terms of science. So just wanted to say thanks, Amy. Taylor, did you want to get in on that or? Um, I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I could just pass it for now. I was actually looking at um, this paper that you were recommended. I look at the um, green. I, I believe Sal put something on the table before we yeah, let Amy respond, respond that Grayson's um, chewing on still. So let's let Grayson. Well, I can ahead. absolutely. And also Taylor, uh, the CPJ Mori has a review article on amyloid world hypothesis. That's a great resource. Anyways, from what I heard from Sal was essentially an incredulity argument, an argument from incredulity saying that he doesn't understand how 
all these complicated enzymes could have come about from, you know, a self-replicating chemical system undergoing Darwinian evolution. And then he said that scientists are moving away from the idea of natural selection and, and how it's reductive. This is that more of that genetic entropy stuff seeping into an abiogenesis conversation. But yeah, Lenski's experiment, all you have to do is just ask, you know, what were the selection pressures in there? What? And then that pretty much will answer the results of the Lenski's experiment is that the selection pressures were favoring more simple and less complex genomes. So that's why they happened. Um, and then, yeah, that, that we have plenty of evidence that selection does, in fact, create more complexity rather than more simplicity. And the paper that I showed in my opening, where you start out with one self-replicating RNA, and then by the end of their experiment, over 120 or 200 generations later, it was a long-term experiment, thousands of hours. They had five lin new lineages of RNA replicators that were in a replicating network that was irreducibly co complex and codependent. So that is a more complicated, less simple uh, outcome there. Anyone want to take that? Uh, yeah, so I'm looking here. It just seems like they put amino acids into a mixture and just got a bunch of hydrophobic um, protein residues. It doesn't seem like they had any sort of self-replicating um, amyloid, as you're describing. But uh, polymerization it do does not equal um, replication, if that's what you're thinking. So just because something can um, polymerize into like a, just a big glob of amino acids. Um, it doesn't mean that it's a self-replicating like amyloid. There's a difference there, but that's that's kind of what I thought to begin with. Okay, well, Can I venture a question? Um, if that's okay with means, Yeah, by all means, so. Can I really quickly just respond? Is that all right with you, Grayson? Can I just really quickly respond to what Taylor said before you? Yeah, I, I didn't want to step on your time, sir. Go ahead. I, I appreciate that, Sal. Um, I was just going to say that, again, the... CPJ Mori paper, these are self-replicating amyloids. They are template dependent. I mean, it's hard to fully rep to fully research a topic and read papers on the fly live in a debate, but I would just encourage no, I you. No, I already did it. And I am familiar with this. I just did, I like, I was just double checking because I didn't think so, but now I know that they did not get any sort of self-replicating amyloid. That's, it was that's what I figured already, but you were so confident in saying yeah, that, that I had Because to it up. is absolutely self-replicating. You get the same sequence amyloids as the parent sequence starting it like or, or like it is self okay so you're talking about another paper where they like you just mentioned the template already already provided so with a template already provided you have you have the ability to have this self-replication but you already have act active enzymes okay in a template but in this case from just pure nucleotides they basically can get you know polymerization in these extreme conditions but that's what you would expect anyway if you glump together you know amino acids and then put it in the right environment then them polymerizing together is not that unheard of i mean that's not that amazing like to be frankly yeah. honest you're just misrepresenting these studies, Taylor. I'm sorry, but they are self-replicating systems. The researchers agree with this. That's why self-replicating is literally in the title of a lot of these papers. These are self-replicating and they are acknowledged as such by the field. 
So, so are you talking about that? Is this one called spontaneous formation of amyloid aggregates in prebiotic amino acid condensation reactions? Is that the paper you're referring to by Jason Greenwald in 2016? Yes, but there's also a 2018 paper uh, like prebiotic template directed peptide synthesis based on amyloids. Again, this is like, like I said, that one's template, that one's template directed that that's basically where they um, they already insert like these templates necessary. They're not getting it just from pure amino acids. So that would be, that would be, you know, impressive to me, even though that's just scratching the surface of a, like people don't understand like how complex a cell is. So like, these are just tiny little nuances of a whole system with thousands of machines in it that we can't even comprehend. So we're talking about like a nuance of one thing. As you can see, the fact that we're even arguing about such tiny, minute things just shows how little progress we have in this in this field. And it's very sad, you know, with so many decades of research, so much money put into it, it's just not getting anywhere. If anything, we're figuring out that there's more problems each time we run an experiment. So, I mean, and, and the, research, the researchers themselves actually admit this, that, you know, it's, it, it is incredible, you know, to even continue on in this manner because we're just getting further and further away from having any sort of working theory they absolutely do not say any of that taylor i would completely disagree yes they do they literally admit it themselves it was sal oh. sal mentioned earlier i've read papers where they've done it as well so you can't say that doesn't happen they don't say that they're getting farther and farther away okay you can say yes it's an incredible like cells are incredibly complex and <laughs> we don't know what the full mechanism is but again, we're learning more things as we go along. None of the researchers. But are it's just these that. paradoxes that cannot be answered. Like there's so many of them. Like, so like, for example, the water paradox, just to throw one off the top of my head out of the many that there exists. Like, can you explain the water paradox for the viewers? Yeah. Sure. It's yeah. That's where you need. I'd like to weigh in. Okay. Go ahead, Sal. Yeah. Let's let Sal in here. Uh, thank you. I'm sorry to interrupt, Taylor. Um, Perfect. So in biochemistry, like 201 or 301, uh, like the first several classes, we talk about Ramachandran plots, the importance of the chirality. Now, um, if you have a racemic mixture, uh, you know, how are you going to form, you have left and right-handed amino acids, how are you going to form stable alpha helices? I mean, you might replicate, but you're going to replicate junk. Um, so I, I don't know where this is coming from. I'm just throwing it out there for the other people. But I, I'd like to move on from what I think is just basically going to be dead-end research. That's a testable prediction, by the way. Someone's going to find out that this is a dead-end, and they're going to propose their own crank theory, too. Uh, that's the way it's been going for the last several decades, and it keeps getting just bad. It's kind of entertaining to watch. I mean, I, I, I commend their valor and their determination, but they're fighting against basic laws of physics and chemistry. So if I may um, just, if I could share uh, something, well, I'll do that in my next segment. But the thing is, it's just like with, uh, why don't I just save that for the next seconds. segment? But I, I have a serious problem if you're starting with a racemic mixture that it's going to spontaneously start building polypeptides that have stable alpha helices. That's nonsense. All right, Grayson, I'm going to give you two minutes to respond, and then I want to give it back to Sal. Cool. Yeah, I'll share my screen here. Um, I didn't get to cover this very much in my opening, but here are a few papers. There's tons. I, I had to cut it down because there's too many papers to include on this screen. It's already text heavy. But here are just 
three papers showing that amyloids do create homochiral outcomes. Like this one is stereospecific amyloid-like fibril formation by peptide fragments. So again, this is stereospecific. And in this one by Wang et al., 2016, they actually found completely uh, homochiral homo pleated sheet amyloids in, in segments here. You can see that there's chiral recognition in amyloid fiber growth. Again, these are enantioselective processes in amyloid fiber formation. And there's other naturalistic explanations for homochirality that are also listed here with citations. So again, I would like reject this line of reasoning. I Sal may have made a falsifiable prediction, but I predict that his prediction will be falsified and that we will get a lot of fruit out of this amyloid research. Because truthfully, we have not been doing amyloid research for abiogenesis for decades. It literally just started in like the 2000s and 2010s. Nobody was looking at amyloids for abiogenesis because everybody was focused on them in prion diseases and Alzheimer's. Nobody was thinking about them in terms of abiogenesis. This is a relatively new field. You have two minutes. Yeah, Go, yep. no, I, I want I want to allow Sal a chance. Grayson and Taylor has had the floor for the most part. So it's, and I'll, I'll try to yield some time to Taylor. Thank you. Sure. Uh, this is ridiculous. They're starting with an amyloid to make homochiral stuff. Where does where does the amyloid start from? It has to start from an oma from a racemic mix because the Gibbs free energy predicts the natural direction is even starting from homochirality. It's going to go racemic. This is just nonsense. So I I stand on that prediction. And despite the fact you're citing all these papers, we have mountains of evidence that uh, homochiral systems go to racemic. That is natural. That is the Gibbs free energy. You're not going to be able to run away from that. And if you're trying to polymerize it, we have lots of experiments that show, like if you're heat polymerizing, that's going to accelerate the racemization. This is nonsense. This is cherry picking. This, again, is intelligent design in the laboratory, representing it as something that happens naturally. The, the overwhelming exception is on my side. And Taylor, I, read, I, I yield the rest of my two minutes. Can I please respond to that? I'd like Taylor to go no, with my time Taylor slot. Have, I'd like Taylor to have my time slot. Time. Thank you. No, it's okay. I was going to just ask him if, if he's uh, actually read all those papers and the materials and methods, because sometimes the the um, the titles and the abstract can be deceiving only until you go and actually read the materials and methods. Do you actually understand all the procedures that were done here and all of the, you know, like you said, cherry picking that was added. And frankly, that's done a lot of, studies, but especially uh, present here. But anyway, yeah, I was going to ask Grayson. And I have something to add, but I'm succeeding my time right now because I know Grayson's got something to say. Thank you for being so magnanimous, Amy. I really want to, you to get more in on this after. I just had to get this out because those studies I cited started with racemic mixtures, exactly like Sal said. So he was correct that they started with racemic mixtures. They did not start with homochiral products. What they got was homochiral products because of the nature of amyloid formation being enantioselective and stereoselective and regioselective. So again, this is all backed up in those papers. Taylor, yes, I did look at the methods of those papers and I got those papers from a review article where experts had taken insights from the papers and I verified that those insights were accurate by looking at the methods for each of those before I included them in my PowerPoint. And yes, 
there is a Gibbs free energy advantage to homochiral amyloids as opposed to racemic amyloids. Amyloids can form both racemically or homochirally, but there is energetic differences and the more stable form that is thermodynamically favored is the homochiral form. And that's why there is a environmental pressure towards homochiral products in amyloid formation. It's all laid out in the study. Uh, may I have about 30 seconds to respond? You may. Uh, I think Taylor called you out on it. You, you had a racemic mixture and you threw amyloid templates. We're talking about starting from pure racemic stuff, racemic free-floating amino acids, and you're going to throw an amyloid and say, look, this, so where does that amyloid come from except intelligent design? End of story. Done. Illegitimate experiment, exactly what I pointed out with Clements Reichert. This is investigator interference doing the hand of God imitation. Thank you. I'd just like to point out, Sal hasn't read any of these uh, papers, but he speaks so confidently on them when literally they all start out with racemic mixtures and the amyloids are it. formed like out of those racemic mixtures. So yeah, it, it, he just needs to Thank read you. the papers. Come on, bro. Come on. And I just want to push back on that this is a faith conversation. I believe that we are looking at science. I believe that scientists, biologists are trying to solve this question. And I understand there being problems, especially because we're looking so far back. However, we have things in physics like trying to mixed general relativity and quantum mechanics that is a problem we may or may not solve that problem nonetheless general relativity and quantum mechanics both seem to be true and so although there always are going to be different scientific quandaries like grayson is saying we've been making great strides in what is now an entire field all right um, before you guys continue i'm just going to uh, shout out to our audience real quick. Uh, thanks again for coming, everybody. Hope you're enjoying the debate. Uh, we're just about out of our main time going to enter the Q&A section. So if you've got any super chats you would like to ask our debaters, now is your time to go ahead and put those in and uh, we'll get into that section. Um, I'm going to give you guys about another 10 minutes or so uh, with this pattern of uh, discussion. Um, yeah. So carry on. Yeah, I would like um, for Grayson to share what um, what what paper it was that they just they added non racemic mixtures and got uh, amyloids out of because I think the viewers would like to know. Yeah. Okay. The uh, let's see. Mirror images of antimicrobial peptides provide reflections on their functions and amyloidogenic properties. 2016 by Wang et al. So I'm just, just right, you said that there wasn't a template, correct? Yeah, not a template. So, but yeah, I mean, again, it, maybe this would have been helpful to provide all papers beforehand so people are not trying to read papers or make statements about papers that they have not read. Um, well, this is why I actually want to know because I believe that's what's going on here, but it's it's okay. 
Okay. Because okay. I already I already exposed the last one, you know, but I don't think you did actually. Yes, they were not self-replicating. They were just polymerizing. Well, I have spoken with Jason Greenwald, the pub, the author of that paper myself, and he is, and throughout his other works as well, mentions this self-replicating activity of amyloids, and this is not questioned in the field. So, but not in that paper, but, but not, but not in that study. There was not that. No, it wasn't the self-replication. It was the polymerization that was tested there. But, but I just want you to at least address one, like. Okay, so earlier I mentioned the water paradox. I would appreciate if you could just answer a question like that, because some of the reasons why we believe that abiogenesis should be reconsidered is because of the vast impo impossibilities that exist within that theory and the paradoxes that have not been answered. So if you could yeah. just answer maybe the water paradox, for example, because I know okay. we don't really have that much time. Yeah. So the water paradox is basically that you need water and you can't have water in, in forming a lot of these molecules. Like water is going to actively hurt their stability and break them down and hydrolyze, but they also need to be in an aqueous environment. So the amyloid world hypothesis addresses this because one, it doesn't hydrolyze in water. So the, the amyloids are not broken down readily by water. They're extremely stable. Uh, two, they form in aqueous solutions with carbonyl sulfide. So there you go. They can form in water. They're not broken down by water. And amyloid fibril networks can also create hydrophobic pockets by which other molecules can form without water present. So there you go. I thought that the paper that you cited was with volcanic gas, though. Yes, carbonyl sulfide, volcanic gas. Go ahead, Sal. I'll give you two minutes. Um, I'd like to I'd like to have three minutes, but I, I really should clear it with the opponents. Sure. And just afterwards, I just want to ask a question. I personally don't want to have three minutes out of our remaining eight minutes. Um, so Sal, I'm, we're going to try to just like limit people to that two minutes that we okay. discussed. Okay, roger minutes. that. I'll, I'll do However, my best, guys. Okay. I was going to ask everyone, and since we're talking about it anyway, would anybody here or would everybody here um, like some time to close out before we get into Q&A? I was hoping you are going to say pizza party, but that too, we'll take that. Okay. Okay. So, Sal, the first I'll give you thing... your three minutes at the end, and for now, you can just do two. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you all. That, that that's no problem. First off, this is ridiculous to be appealing to amyloids. If you just look at amyloids, they're a cause of human diseases. They're destructive to other proteins and systems. This is this is nonsense. It's going nowhere. And I even posed this question. I said, "How is this going to lead to uh, translocation processes? How is it going to make like a?" Uh, transmembrane proteins. How's this going to make stuff like helicases and polymerases, things that we see in cellular life? This is a total dead end and a waste of time. That's a testable prediction. People are going to just disregard this and say it's a dead end. It's delusional. Um, now, one thing I wanted to cover, uh, and if I run out of time, I run out of time. Uh, if I may share my screen here, yep. if I can grab it. And I lot I, I didn't use my stopwatch. So if I run out of time, it's on me. But um, there is a natural tendency in biology and chemicals in general, if if they are, uh, if they're chiral, they can go left or right, but in DNA can get even worse. Um, in fact, even just to make a DNA thing, uh, even just a few, there are thousands, thousands of possibilities. So if we just take even just like with Scrabble letters, to be able to make them readable, 
this is difficult. It just does not spontaneously happen. None of this amyloid nonsense is going to solve this problem, and I don't expect it to. I don't expect it to. This is a very difficult problem. This is the problem of homo linkage, not just homo chirality, homo linkage. I mean, look at all the ways that these DNAs, these nucleotides can assemble spontaneously. We need very careful uh, processes to regulate this. This does not happen in a prebiotic environment. All of this amyloid stuff is just red herrings, just pretending you're solving something when, you know, you're straining at gnats and letting camels through. I mean, this is worth a discussion. That's why I asked for three minutes, but I, I do want to respect the time and the courtesy of my opponents here and the moderator. But this is, this is going nowhere. We haven't even touched on this. So, um, guys, Whatever Grayson put forward, even if you grant it, it's a mess. You're not going to solve it. It's a dead end. Stop pretending it's going to go anywhere. Thank you. That's your time, Sal. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Amy, do you have a response to that? Yes, and that just perfectly uh, sets up ball for if it's not going anywhere and we just have our hypotheses and we want abiogenesis to be reconsidered, my question to you is... What are we putting in its place? Where does the origin of life come from? Well, in a scientific sense, there are theories that um, are there are, you know, things that have not been explained. So um, just to even reconsider intelligent design or anything else or for for the most part, just to, you know, reconsider the theory of abiogenesis to begin with. They, some things don't, you know, don't have a working explanation for them. Um, there's many things like that in science where they're just unexplained phenomena, um, kind of like you mentioned earlier with the hot, why does hot water freeze quicker, you know, um, but it is sad that we can't figure it out, but there's just simply no working theory and all the theories have um, detrimental downfalls to them. So, and, and like you said earlier, Sadovar, that's a true statement that we're straining in NASA and letting camels through because that is very true. They're, the people can't even understand the complexity of this topic and and like life in a cell itself. They just don't understand. The molecular machinery and everything needed is just uncomprehensible, to say the least. All right. So an incredulity argument. Thank you, Taylor. And Sal, if I can address a little bit of what he said, I just will quote from the paper by Route et al. from 2018 that amyloids can direct the sequence selective regioselective and stereoselective condensation of amino acids. So that addresses every point that he just brought up. He is not familiar with this paper. He's never read it. And yet he's making such confident claims about what these papers that he's never read show. I mean, if he would actually read some of this literature before he makes statements about what it's saying or what it's showing, maybe he wouldn't be making these You're using the argument I said to you. That's just kind of cheap. Yeah. First off, may I respond 30 seconds? Look. You started with an amyloid. That's the problem. You need to make an amyloid first. You have to start with an amyloid. That's ridiculous. You're saying it just pops out of nowhere and then you throw it in and you say that it can do this. This is, this is again, investigator interference. And this is not argument from incredulity. It is an argument by contradiction. Know the difference between you before you accuse us of argument from incredulity. I'm throwing scientific evidence why it doesn't work. That's science. That's not incredulity. Thank you. 
All right. Okay. And I debunked your arguments with actual empirical studies. And again, that 2016 Greenwald paper that showed that amyloids form spontaneously from amino acids in the presence of volcanic gases. Uh, yeah, that paper had amyloid formation on it as these amyloids are growing. That is the yeah, polymerization. Yes. The polymerization right. of amyloids, how that works. The polymerization of amino acids. Taylor, please don't, don't talk over top of me here. How, Actually, how I'm going to talk over top of everybody right now. I'm just so we're pretty much near the end of our time here. Um, I want to allow the uh, South Taylor side to have the final word of the main debate. But then I'm going to give everybody an individual three minutes to close out. OK, um, so Sal and Taylor, if you want to have the final word of our open discussion. Taylor, do you want to go first? You can go ahead. OK, uh, how long do I how long do I have? And I just I just wanted you guys to have the final word of our core 50 minute discussion and then we'll go in. OK, I'll, I'll show something statement. that um, let me show this here. They were talking about RNAs uh, or, or nucleotides. It is striking that our desired adenine cis, uh, cytosine deoxyribose uh, dinucleotide is just one of the 16,200 possible chemicals that can result from linking an adenine and a cytosine, two deoxyribose and two phosphate groups. There are therefore 16,199 possible configurations and only one correct configuration of a single-stranded DNA molecule that has only an AC dinucleotide. Many of these isomers with the raw configurations or energy equivalent to or even more stable than the correct one. We have billions of these pairs of these connections throughout our genome, billions. And you can see how improbable it is even to get just two of them in a readable configuration. None of this amyloid nonsense. And, 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 and uh, Grayson didn't point out, oh, you take these random amyloids and then you're, you're equivocating as if, you know, the other experiment that actually used designed ones or taken ones uh, and throwing them in, that's illegitimate. That's so much of this stuff is equivocation and it doesn't solve the problems that I'm just showing here. This is, this is going nowhere. You're straining at gnats, letting camels, huge camels through. Now I'd like to address Amy's question. So where do we go? At some point, there may be things we don't know. We may have to accept there are things we cannot verify or ever know. There are things about history like uh, the wars of Alexander. We will never know the details. I mean, it's valiant that we're pursuing it, but there could be a point that we just have to admit we accept some things by faith. All right. So I'm going to call that the end of our standard normal time. Um, Clearly, this is a fantastic topic. We should be revisited later. Absolutely. Uh, Grayson and Amy started the debate. I believe you guys should begin with the opening statements or the final statements as well. Uh, so Grayson, and Amy, you guys can fight over who's going to go first. We can just do the same order that we opened with, right? Okay, I'll give you three minutes each. Okay, so I was kind of cut off right in the middle of my thought the last time. So in that study that was showing the spontaneous formation of amyloids, it was showing that templated directed process because that's how amyloids grow, okay? If you are not familiar with amyloid literature, it's an easy mistake to make. But if you actually read these amyloid papers and understand how amyloids grow and form, then you would understand that it is a regioselective, stereoselective, sequence selective process. Okay. It's 
inherent in amyloid fibril formation. So when they have these spontaneous generations of amyloid fibrils, all of that is entailed. It is self-replicating. This is what Taylor has missed because, again, I just encourage my opponents to read more of amyloid literature here. Um, Sal brought up RNA confirmations. Again, this is assuming that the RNA just came together from all of its constituent parts spontaneously out of nowhere, and there was no kind of catalyst or anything that could direct this process, which is fallacious reasoning because, again, in order for you to say, oh, there's all these possible confirmations, okay, you're ignoring the fact that those confirmations have different fun like different functional uh, like outcomes, different structural in interactions with their environment. There are selective pressures on those different confirmations. They can be formed catalytically that have certain regioselective uh, preferences, including amyloids here, okay, like amyloids do have enzymatic activity and can catalyze reactions, including their own formation, okay, this is not disputed in the literature, I know my opponents are disputing this, because they maybe haven't read the literature, but the fact that amyloids are self-replicating is not disputed by anyone in the literature, um, so yeah, I'll just finish by saying that, um, I heard a lot of incredulity. I do think that that's all it is by pointing out that all oh, all these complex enzymes and everything, how could they possibly form? Again, the hypothesis of like RNA world, abiogenesis, amyloid world, these are all getting to self-replicating chemical systems that are capable of undergoing Darwinian evolution, right? They're not trying to make a, an explanation from abiogenesis all the way to the last universal common ancestor and explaining every single protein family, okay? We're not there yet in the science. I know you want us to be, but you know we just don't know every single step along the way. That doesn't mean that individual steps, like I've highlighted tonight, do not have empirical support for them and have plausible naturalistic mechanisms, which have been shown in experiment. So again, we don't have every single mechanism for every single protein family all the way up to protocells and LUCA, but we do have confirmed plausible naturalistic mechanisms along the way. All right, Amy, three minutes. It's all yours. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I just want to say that abiogenesis is multiple leading hypotheses some which may end up being combined or ones that will end up subseding the others. Just going over a few points, we are not devolving. I have seen no evidence of a special creation or a miracle. We are aware of rare events. It could be that we came from something like panspermia or something like that though multiverse has nothing to do with this subject. We have many good theories, like the germ theory of disease, the theory of gravity, and the theory of evolution. Evolution happens with or without abiogenesis, but we're trying to figure out what happened. There has to have been a point where non-life became life. I feel like the ID components still proponents still have this problem, but they have no mechanism to offer in return. It is true that labs are sterile, but we are trying to replicate 
early life. That's the goal. And religion has never offered us any sorts of explanation that can be falsified or has ever actually been true. Um, yes, this is not a faith question. This is a scientific question. I think we will have an answer one day. And the only way to do so is by continuing to go out in the field. And although more problems sometimes arise as we learn more, that doesn't mean that we should just give up on the project. That means we just need our best biologists uh, working in the field. And so I haven't heard anything that I think should be reconsidered. I think that there's actually been as Gratian uh, has shown in his example, um, many prominent hypotheses that are graining traction and I look forward to the Q&A section. I do want to thank Justin, Sal, Taylor, and Grayson for having this and looking forward to the questions. All right. And with that, um, the team of Sal and Taylor, I don't know which one of you would like to uh, go first, but I've got three minutes lined up just for you. Taylor? Hey guys, sorry. Um, yeah, I mean this amyloid plaque um is is just not it's just not gonna get us anywhere. I'm sorry. Like we haven't even scratched the surface on how we're getting DNA codes from this um disease causing plaque. I mean, this is absolutely this is really a joke if you look in the grand scheme of things. The fact that they're clinging on to um these plaques basically that cause diseases is just shows you where we're at. It's very, very um you know, far behind where we should be at this point with decades of research. Um, so yeah, um, we have to get a corresponding DNA code and all of the molecular machinery and things like this. Um, we haven't, yeah, we have just haven't got there. And in terms of panspermia, uh, you know, that's just really pushing back the problem because, uh, you know, all these same problems still apply anywhere in the universe about how the first life is going to arise. That's that's really the question of abiogenesis. So if it came from another planet or if it came from here, it really doesn't matter. It's pushing back, pushing back the same problem of life forming um, from non-living materials, <clears throat> which we have not observed yet, by the way. If you're wondering from all this whole debate, we have not um, observed a living cell come from non-living components. I just want to make that clear to the audience because they might not know. Um, and yeah, it, it is it is very important for the audience to read the papers because you have to look at the materials and the methods to actually understand what's going on here. A lot of the time, uh, there's definitely researcher bias in it. And uh, only from the methods can you actually see what was really put into things. And um, that's important, especially for this topic, when we're trying to say that these things could have came out of, you know, out of, um, you know, non-ideal conditions, which is what nature has to offer sometimes. Um, yeah, uh, I just think that abiogenesis at this point with, with the more and more research that we do should definitely be reconsidered and uh, we should begin to kind of accept uh, the reality here and stop trying to teach it as if it's fact and something that has a working theory because it simply does not. Thank you. All right. We have a little and bit of extra time left. Yeah, three minutes is all yours, my friend. 
that this whole nonsense about amyloids, again, this is straining at gnats. Uh, I mean, as Taylor pointed out, uh, these things proliferate. Yes, it's, they create disease. It's exactly the problem. And the thing about proteins, you don't want to make too much or too little because that's just going to bunk everything up. So this thing that it's self-proliferating and you're having all this reproductive efficiency, that leads to nowhere. If you overexpress too many, you know, one kind of protein and it just proliferates in the cell, it's, 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 it's going to ruin it. This is nonsense that it's going to point to anything. So let's even grant all this amyloid stuff. It's not going to make anything near a cell. And the way you described it with its fitness competition, it's just going to be like uh, what happens, in, sadly, in, in all these amyloid diseases like Alzheimer's. It's just going to proliferate and destroy things. This is a dead end. But we haven't even touched on the nucleotide problems. There's so many things. The transmembrane issues are going to be gigantic. None of this is going to solve the emergence of transmembrane proteins or any of the things involved in translation and transcription. And you haven't, that's not going to solve the origin of RNA and DNA and its sequencing. This is straining at gnats, letting camels and elephants through. And it's, it's not argument by incredulity. It's argument by contradiction, contradicted by what we know about science. Thank you. All right. Well, that was a fantastic show, guys. Thank you so much for coming out. Uh, before we get into the Q&A, I uh, just want to remind everybody to hit that like and subscribe button. We are coming to the end of 2023, which will be a year in the record books for Modern Day Debate. 166,000 subscribers. Absolutely fantastic. And it's all because of you guys uh, for watching and supporting the channel. Um, and with that, uh, after the Q&A section, there is uh, an unofficial after show on Matters Now. So anyone who wants to come and have a discussion and dissect our debaters' performance tonight, feel free to come on over there. And, uh, of course, the debaters, all four of you, are welcome to join as well. Um, and with that, we'll get into um, our Super Chats. Sorry, as I said that, a Super Chat just came in. I just want to make sure I, I log that one here. And uh, yeah, so Can we let people know where to find us, by the way. Uh, yeah, after the Q and A, before we we wave goodbye, and we will definitely do that. Um, and there we go. Our first question from Bitter Truth four ninety nine. Can you please confirm Jesus born by a virgin? And yes, uh, and if yes. Was that asexual reproduction behind that? I guess that's from the Christians. I assume, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think I can do that experimentally. No one will. Maybe one day you'll find out in the final day. Yeah. Uh, thank you, by the way, for your super chat. Cool. Uh, I was just going to um, say back to that question. So if God can create DNA, then why couldn't he create an already living person? And asexual reproduction production is um, from a an um, a already living organism basically being able to reproduce. But Mary did not replicate herself, so that would not be asexual reproduction. Um, yeah, that's about it. All right. Um, our next question from Bitter Truth again, uh, four ninety nine. Creationists kindly kindly help if. Science is hypothesis that mighty will that prove you God who create 
corrupted planet, then created light after a few days? Incorrect. Um, yeah, that was a really tough question to read. Uh, if you guys can see it there, uh, maybe you can uh, dissect what they're asking. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, th thank you for the super chat. It's very kind of you and Merry Christmas. Um, and I apologize if I'm not answering the question directly. There are many things that we cannot absolutely prove and we can just kind of suggest things. I mean, if you don't find our arguments credible, I respect that. Um, I just think when you look at the universe, uh, it looks like it's, it's designed. I mean, even the atheist Fred Hoyle said that. So whether we can prove it, it happened recently, that's going to be a very big topic. Uh, I am a young earth creationist, but I, I'm not, I'm the first to say, I, you know, I don't think we, we have yet a good scientific case, and I'm happy to leave it at that. I'm glad you're interested whether we can and how far we can move it forward. Uh, but uh, that's kind of where it is. But I would say I think our hypothesis is certainly better than evolutionary theory. Thank you. I appreciate you attempting to, to answer that, Sal. Thank you. And our next question, uh, bit of truth. 499, our big supporter of the night, creationists, abiogenesis, if wrong, will this prove you false God whose claims are false? Prove what? So I believe that they're saying is, is, is abiogenesis, if it's wrong, will this prove, I think they're asking, does that mean God is false? If abiogenesis is proven true, is um. what I'm guessing. <laughs> Was this prove God is false? I don't think we can prove God is false, <laughs> but yeah, um, absolutely not, absolutely not. And, you know, there are things we're never going to be able to prove. We just move forward with what we think is the better, uh, the better choice. I mean, this is so consistent with everything in life. We don't have all the answers, but we still make uh, decisions. We sign contracts. We make job decisions with incomplete information. There's no need to have absolute proof to be able to uh, decide how you're going to live your life or what you're going to believe. Um, so if abiogenesis uh, shows to happen naturally, I probably wouldn't be a creationist anymore. Um, uh, and I'd, I'd probably be an agnostic or an atheist if someone's able to show it. Um, so, so yeah, my faith could be falsified if someone succeeds in this. So can I ask you? Um, so, um, Let's let I'm Taylor sorry. just say, and then I'll ask. I'll let you ask a question, Gerson. Yeah, and there's there's many you know medical miracles that have been documented, and many other things to show that you know there's something supernatural out there. Um, this is kind of getting a little bit more acceptance in the scientific community. The fact that there's other dimensions that you know we can't see, and that there may be things there that 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 we cannot see. Um, but yeah, so I think the bigger question here though is why is there something versus nothing? That's a really big question. Like, why doesn't just nothing exist? So the fact that there is something versus nothing suggests that there's always been something there. And, you know, that something must have a will and, and have a lot of quite a lot of intelligence to create this um, amazing universe. Um, but, yeah, that that's my answer. Thank you. OK, go ahead, uh, Grayson. Yeah, well, I would just say that nothing cannot exist. It's impossible. If something exists, it's not nothing. So it's a category error. But, Sal, what I was going to ask you was. 
Um, you you made a really interesting comment about if abiogenesis is shown to have a natural mechanism, then that would test your faith. Have did, are you aware of like James Tour? I mean, he's one of the biggest like proponents of creation or creationism that uh, attacks abiogenesis, and he said recently in his debate that he thinks that one day we will find a naturalistic mechanism for abiogenesis. And he said that that would just make him say, oh, so that's how God did it. I'm not aware of that statement. I'm not aware of it. I'm not saying he didn't say it. And that's fine. But for the record, I just want to say, Sal, the water here is fine. So whenever you're ready, Um, if Sal or Taylor want to have the final word, since the question was directed at you guys originally, otherwise we can move on. Okay. And our next question, the sinister porpoise, $2, Sal and Taylor, how are you defining information? I think I should take that one because I studied information theories, electrical engineer. I do not define it like my fellow ID proponents. And because there's so many definitions of information, I think it's probably not a good thing for ID proponents or creationists to use that argument. And sorry to disagree with maybe anything my partner here, uh, my teammate uh, Taylor may have said, but um, I think organization is, 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 is better. Now, one measure of kind of an approximation, uh, approximate measure is like, you know, you know, functioning genes. We can measure if you're adding uh, brand new um, non-homologous genes to a system. Um, that's a rough measure. But I, I, I think it's so ill-defined that um, you'll notice I did not use that argument in any of my discussions. I was trying to talk in terms of uh, probability, uh, and that's easier. So th that's a very good pointed question, and I wish that the ID world would not use information too rigorously, more like a qualitative thing. So I like the idea of recipe better, recipe uh, or, or set of instructions because um, information theory in thermodynamics is quite the opposite of the way the ID proponents use it. And it's gonna cause just a mess. I'm in the midst of writing a paper on that. And um, uh, so it is a good question. And I think actually ID proponents and creationists should, should just leave it alone because of questions like yours, it's gonna it's gonna highlight problems in our own uh, language usage. You have anything to add, Taylor? Um, so there's it is kind of abstract, like what information means. Um, it could be defined as processed, stored, or transmitted data. Um, that that's one definition. But yeah, thank you. All right. Next question from Megan Marie, 499. Enjoying the debate and learning a lot. Uh, Grayson and Amy are killing it. Happy holidays, everyone. So a little support there for uh, Grayson and Amy. Thank you so much. And our next question is for Taylor. Uh, BS Lewis, $2. Taylor, if Allah designed, would you wish worship him? Exactly uh, yeah, it depends on. Asked. Yeah, it depends on you know what do you mean by Allah? Do you mean Allah as the Creator or Allah as the Moon God, um, which it was in ancient times? But anyway, yeah. 
Well, Yahweh was a, a Canaanite storm god, so. No, no, he's not. That's a poor translation of Yahweh. Just because they have similar um, letters does not actually mean it's the same exact word. Thank you. It's totally different than what you just did with the it Islamic is, God. Okay. It, no, it was actually named Allah. The storm's God was not named Yahweh, but it was a similar spelling. Thanks. All right. Uh, we got a couple of other uh, super chats that came in during Q&A, so I didn't have time to add them to the screen. Uh, the next super chat from Dr. Dino with a K. $5. Paleontologists checking in. Evolution happens. And as we look further back in time, life only gets simpler. Enjoy the tiny gap you've crammed God into. Um, I guess that was a comment towards Sal and Taylor, I assume. Dr. Dino is in Kent Hovind himself? No, I don't believe no, it. No, this there's a screen name Doctor with a K, so D O K. Oh. However, it is in jest of Kent Hovind, if I'm not mistaken. Um you can look at the fossil record. Let's even assume in long ages and you see a progression. It doesn't mean that it's natural. Uh, so embedded in there is a false assumption that this happened naturally. I mean, if you look at staircases, there's kind of an, there is a progression there. It doesn't mean that it happens ordinarily without design. So the gaps are very big, particularly the prokaryote, eukaryote, or whatever transition um, that had to be involved in those two architectures. That is very severe. That is a gargantuan gap. Um, you know, the cellular biologists like Taylor would actually appreciate that. So I, I totally reject that the gaps are getting smaller. They're, they're getting gigantic. I know a, I showed picture briefly. It's it just, you know, just a very brief picture of Change Tan. She was an atheist, came from communist China. She studied prokaryotes and eukaryotes because she's teaching molecular biology in the process. She became a creationist because this just is not, that transition does not happen naturally. So the gap is enormous. It's not going to be solved by looking at the fossil record, by the way. Yeah, the gap's like God-sized at this point. <laughs> it's a joke. All right. Um, next question. Uh, so it's for Sal. Um, and I believe they're reacting to something you said, but they don't clarify in the question what you were talking about that moment. So I'm hoping as I read the question for you, you'll know what they're talking about. Um, so Nick, 2440 for $1.99 or a pound 99 rather. Sal, diseases for what? Nothing alive yet. Um, thank you very much for your, your question. I was just pointing out, uh, it's ridiculous to be uh, invoking amyloids uh, when our examples of them, uh, like in, human, in humans, it, they're disease causing. So yes, things proliferate, parasites proliferate, proliferate. Uh, they're selected for it. This is not good. And I just pointed out that, you know, even granting that it proliferates and there's uh, reproductive competition and reproductive efficiency, that's not how the cell works. The, uh, the, uh, the proportions of the proteins have to be carefully regulated. Otherwise, it's a disaster. And I mean, okay, because I study more human biology than the, the microbial, but this is the best example. If you don't regulate the production of insulin, you, you, you die. I mean, you can't, you can't just be leaving it to natural selection. It's like, okay, that one competes and it makes the most of it. You're gonna kill the system. But even at the cellular world, there, there has to be lots of regulation. This whole stuff about just competition and making more of it and complexity, that's not gonna cut it. Um, 
And really this, you know, the best, you know, you just think about even just taking a working cell and you pierce it and you let its gut spill out. It's not going to self-assemble. So even if you have competition uh, among the parts, it's not going to, it's not going to make something as complex as a functioning cell. That's why I say yeah. this is straining at gnats and letting camels through. Yeah, that, that was an experiment they actually did. They put all the components of a living cell there and tried to wait for it to come alive and make it come alive. And it just would not, even with everything already there. But yeah, I think the question was about, you know, uh, if it's disease, like how how could it be disease causing or, you know, why is this a problem if there's no life yet? Well, the answer is like that th th these disease causing amyloids are not conducive to life. They're literally contrary to life. So there you go. And if I can weigh in on that, they're talking about prions. These are prion diseases. These are misfolded proteins that then replicate throughout the body and cause diseases. But again, these are not relevant to the origin of life. We're not talking about prions. We're not talking about prion diseases. We're not talking about Alzheimer's. We're talking about amyloids, which a prion is like a little subset of amyloids that we are not talking about when we're talking about origins. So, All right. Uh, would Taylor or Sal like to finish that off since the question was directed at you? Straining at gnats, letting camels through. You don't have any, you don't have any regulation of these things. You're not going to make a cell. That's a testable hypothesis. All right. Next super chat from Bitter Truth. 499. This is for Amy. Not so much a question, though. More of a challenge. Are you willing to debate with me after this in a separate channel, at Amy? Why, yes, I would. In fact, now I have to plug two things. So I am also having an after show. However, I also just want to plug Justin's after show and the Discord after show that is fantastic on MDD. But by all means, make my day and come on and let's have a back and forth. All right. And our last super chat for Sal, Pointless Pappy 499. Sal, do you only worship God because he is the most powerful? Um, I well, thank you for your super chat and Merry Christmas. I, I worship God because I believe he is God. And I never even thought about it in those terms. I'm, I'm sorry. I just, you know, just seems to me that uh, I look at the world and I see the machines of life, but I also see the tragedies in the world. And that says to me that uh, the world is intelligently designed, but also cursed just as in also cursed and in need of a savior. And that's consistent with Christian doctrine. And that's why I worship the Christian God. Yeah. And that's I, a, that's wonderful. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. I think I, I was just going to answer, but I, I really didn't mean to cut you off, but um, yeah, God is the most powerful. He's also the most loving and the most merciful and all of the uh, other attributes that people worship him for. Um, and uh, prions are self-propagating amyloids, by the way. Anyway, sorry. Cut. But yeah, God is amazing. You should reach out to him. He'll answer. All right. We got a last second super chat in here for 9999. Um, pineapple I said that without tripping on my face. Amazing. Isn't loving death wrong? Jesus said God isn't there. 
I don't uh, loving death if you're going to heaven. Yeah. Um, but what do you mean? Jesus said God isn't there. I don't know what verse that is, but he definitely told you to pray to the father. And I'm all for atheist Jesus. Let's go. This was ninety nine ninety nine. I mean, in dollars. That's how, that's how it's that. Yeah. It's a dollar Whoa. symbol. Thank you for your generosity. I mean, I, I feel we we are, you deserve a little bit of at least a try, even if I don't answer it well. I mean, um, okay. So about death, if you look at this, okay, because I because the the question of death and how God allowed it, you know, the God, the Creator of life, and how He allowed it. If you look at the story of Snow White, I, I once read this to uh, a woman in my Bible study. And I read it. I said, okay, take away the evil queen. Take away the fact that Snow White died in the middle of it. And uh, just let them just live happily ever after from the start. And she said, yeah, the story just loses its beauty. The reason it's beautiful at the end, the reason it's a happily ever after, is Snow White dies. And then she's resurrected. And then she marries the prince. And then the evil queen dies. That's why this this in a strange this is a strange property that even the poets see and the novelists it's like you know tragedy actually just makes happier happy endings happier there's a strange quality of of reality where tragedy is an important component to ultimate happiness i mean that's why we have like the super bowl you, you have 32 teams competing most of them are going to lose but there's one team that's happy the value of it is made valuable because of the possibility and the reality of loss so it's not so much loving death. Uh, it's appreciating what it does for us to appreciate what life is. So I, I figured you deserve as good an answer as I could give, given your generosity. So thank you. Can I yes. also just bounce off that? And it's I don't even sure. know if I'm disagreeing. All, all, just adding on that they, they teach in marketing and often in story creation with like script writing and game creation that you need conflict and that conflict makes stories interesting. And, you know, it used to be they had divided out where tragedy would be something serious, the dramas, and then we had our comedies and now we have, you know, sometimes a mix of the two, but my main thesis is just to say conflict always makes stories more interesting. It would seem that our audience just doesn't want you guys to go at all. So um, as Amy speaks, Ishmael sends $5 to say science can't prove a lot of things, most, lame, most namely knowledge, reason, and logic. Well, that's true that science can't prove a lot of things. And science, the etymology of the word does mean a body of knowledge, but science has become a process. Science nowadays gives us the best tool that we have from discerning fact from fiction. And if there's a better one out there, I would love to use it. But as far as I'm concerned, my uh, I'm in with science. Yeah, science doesn't prove anything. It works via induction, not uh, deduction. So it doesn't prove anything like math or logic does. Um, it, it just falsifies certain hypotheses and reifies others and like reifies theories gives evidentiary support it never 100 percent proves anything at all so all right 
So with that, thank you very much uh, to all of our dead raiders, Sal, Taylor, Grayson, Amy, for coming out and discussing this with us. Um, it was a great time. Uh, for those of you still in the audience, thank you so much for coming, hanging out with, with us tonight. Look, I don't know. I don't know if this is the last debate of 2023. The only way you're going to know for sure is if you hit that subscribe button right now to keep track of when the next debate comes. Who knows what will happen between now um, and the final day of the year. Um, and I want all of you to stay safe this holiday season. And with that, um, <laughs> I should have talked quicker. Bitter truth, 499. I was challenging creationists at Amy's channel, dude. So that was just, I guess... Confirming the, the, the mic has been dropped. The glove has come off. That's right, creationists. Come and prove Aobiogenesis wrong. And with that, Amy, where can they find you? Well, they can find me and my co-host, James W., and anyone atheist, theist, liberal, or conservative can find us at youtube.com slash Amy Newman. All right. And Grayson... I understand your channel is getting close to a benchmark. Yeah, that's true. I'm only eight subscribers away from hitting 1,000 subs. So if you're feeling a little bit of that Christmas spirit, you know, and you liked what you saw tonight, you want to see my other debates on other pseudoscience and not just intelligent design, then check out that channel. I've got a ton of debates, ton of content on there and you can also challenge me to a debate on there as well. That's based theory, based as in the opposite of cringe theory, like intelligent design. Ouch. Um, Taylor, where can anyone find you any given day on the internet? Uh, I guess on Twitter, um, but it's probably not as cringe as uh, Grayson's YouTube. <laughs> I, I consider that fair game. Uh, Sal, before I let you uh, plug any information you'd like to share with our audience. Uh, Pointless Pappy sends another four ninety nine directed at you. It says, Sal, do you feel that we are perhaps straining at gnats? Jokes aside, seeing poetry, poetry and suffering is not an excuse for allowing suffering to happen. Well, uh, uh, Pointless Pappy, was it? Yeah. Well, thank you again, and Merry Christmas. Um, it says in the Bible, for this momentary light affliction is building us for us an eternal weight of glory. This momentary light affliction. In the scheme of things, the pain that we feel today just seems enormous because it's all that we know. Um, but I, I have faith that, um, you know, whatever heaven has to offer, how good would it have to be so that all the pain we see, all the suffering would seem like it is light after all? Um, so that question has come up because, uh, you know, uh, I, I deal, you know, college kids have come up to me with just horrible tragedies in their life, just horrible things that have happened to them. And I, I don't mean to make light other afflictions, but for someone that knows Jesus Christ, whose life we celebrate in Christmas, um, there is the belief that relative to heaven, it will it will look like nothing. And that's about the only comfort I could give to someone because what's the alternative? Um, one reason that I pursued Christianity was I said, look, guys, I like the skepticism of atheism, but you have no answers for how to deal with pain and why we should hope. Um, but 
if Christ is real, if abiogenesis happened uh, by a miracle, life came by a miracle, and there is intelligent design, there's a glimmer of hope. And so I hold on to that. So I, I don't, you know, I don't look at this as, um, you know, just like point, pointless suffering. It, it, it does have meaning. In, in Christian doctrine, the things we suffer have meaning toward our eternal destiny. And, uh, you know, the best I could give is this sports analogy. You look at these teams that have suffered, but, you know, when they finally end up victorious, all that suffering finally has meaning because of the final victory. And um, uh, that's why I hold on to it. If, if the atheist had a better uh, answer, I probably would be in their camp. But uh, one, I don't think the evidence shows that there's no God. And, um, you know, I, I just don't, I just don't find in atheism that there's any hope, any reason for living. I mean, I've had atheists come up to me and said, why should I live the next day? And it's like, well, I can't, I can't give you a reason if you're an atheist. I, if I could just make a comment off that. Sure. Yeah. I find that one of the hardest things to replace in religion is community, is ways of dealing with grief. And so I think that what we have to do is come together as just human beings. We have to be there for each other and develop I would say healthy ways of dealing with loss. It's one of the hardest subjects I think we go through as humans. And, and so I just would like to put that out there because I, I think that it's important to have the word alternative, especially when community is such important. Just putting that there. And with that, Sal, where can anyone find you on the internet any given day? Evidence and Reasons. Uh, that's the name of the YouTube channel. If you Google it, say Evidence and Reasons YouTube, you, you should be able to find my channel. Um, and thank you, anyone, for your interest. Uh, right now, I'm not talking so much about science. For this last week, I've been talking about a multi-million dollar lawsuit that I'm involved in against my church. So even you atheists might be interested to hear what nasty things happen in the church. All right. Sounds exciting. Uh, all right. So with that, we're going to close things off again. If you guys want to know if there's any more debates coming up anytime soon, you're going to have to hit that subscribe button and turn on that notification. Um, if you're watching this debate after the fact, feel free to share your comments in the comment section below. Um, I'm going to head over to the Matters Now channel and uh, have an after show you're all of course uh, welcome i guess amy you're going to go and do your thing over at your channel so thank you guys all so much for coming the chat so is i'll try and separate out maybe i'll try and jump over there as well because we need this all support our awesome moderator ladies and gents <laughs> well thank you so much uh, matters now is knocking on four thousand subscribers um, after only two months of being active um so yeah, your support is is always welcome over there. Um, and with that, uh, thanks you all for coming. And the chat is wishing you all a happy, safe holiday season. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. 
we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.